Welcome to No Challenges Remaining episode, I think this is 243G of No Challenges Remaining. <laughs> I feel like you just reeled off a bunch of numbers and letters. Secret code. This is the Men Play Tennis 2 edition where we talk about what happened to the men's side of the Australian Open after covering the women on the last episode. We're doing this the night of the men's final. Let's get right to the final already. Novak Djokovic is the champion, wins his eighth Australian Open, which is crazy. That also feels like completely right. He beat Dominic Team in five sets. None of which were particularly long sets, actually. There was no sevens on the board in the scoreboard, considering it was a five-set match, which for men's tennis is pretty rare, especially, you know, there have been a bunch of tiebreaks for team in earlier rounds in this tournament, for sure. He won three against Rafa in the quarters and also won a few against Zverev in that match in the semifinals. Uh, let's start with Novak, Courtney. What does it mean that Novak is now eight-time Australian Open champion, still four behind Rafa's, like, French Open count, which makes it seem less insane than it should be, because eight is nuts, even though in this era it feels relatively normal, or understandable, or, or common. Eight Australian Opens, and 17 Grand Slams overall, two back of Rafa's 19, three back of Federer's 20. If Novak gets that calendar slam we all think he could get, he's tied with Roger this year. Golden Slam, if you're talking calendar Hell slam. Hell yeah. Win all the Masters, too. Golden Jokimon Master Slam. ATP Davis Cup. You know, run the board. ATP Cup. That's right. He already got that. Yeah. First ever person to win ATP Cup and Australian Open the same year. Novak Djokovic. King of January. Yeah. I mean, Novak's Novak, man. Like, I don't really have much to say, not because of any disrespect, but just, I mean, I've tweeted it. I, I genuinely believe it. I bring it up all the time, like, I'm in, like company with like other tennis writers like Novak is going to finish with all the numbers in his favor we think literally so. all the numbers in his favor unless something changes he will he will be the goat in my opinion we can all if people want to sit there and argue about what goat means and redefine it all of a sudden when everybody was like I don't know I, I, I feel like the last 10 years everybody's been telling me goat is whoever has the most slams like I mean like no you don't get to rejigger the the scoreboard like, the dude mm. is unbelievable. And you can argue about memorable, most memorable, most influential. Yeah, okay, you might get Roger there or even Rafa in terms of changing the game, et cetera, et cetera. But the greatest tennis player that I have seen play, I suspect, within by the time he retires, is going to be Novak Djokovic. And what he did today, I mean, it speaks volumes that as shitty as he played, it was not a good match. No, it wasn't good. It was not a good final. And as crap as Novak played outside of the first three games of the first set... You still just knew. You just knew. You knew that Dominic team was so far away, even if it was two sets to one up. And, and like Novak looked like he was ready to be carried out in a stretcher and hooked up to an IV. Like you just knew that Novak had it in him to turn around. He did. I don't even think he played his peak tennis to do it. He just played he just played normal Novak tennis and he basically ran away with the match. Not only is he like Rafa, who is twelve and zero in French Open finals, Novak is eight and zero in Australian Open. It's finals. very good. Very, very good. Very, very bankable. And yeah, and, and I was the same way. Like, and I think Dominic Team was the same way. Also, he said after the match in his press conference that he, when, from a question from esteemed Egyptian journalist Reem Abuleil, asked if you ever, if he ever Don't thought like sell her like that, esteemed, glorious. What is a word for her? I mean, yeah, okay. boss. Well, yeah, I'm just saying. I felt like esteemed was a bit insulting. <laughs> 
These are all good words for our friend Reem, who is once again joining us in the room. We should be clear. <laughs> 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 all right. She asked team if if team at any point felt like he had Novak, like he had this match, and team was like, no, definitely not. Which is right. I mean, Novak can't count him out. He was really bad in those second and third sets, especially T- turned it on when he needed to in the fourth, and yeah, just felt comfortable even if the score was kind of close. In, in, in each of those sets, it was four and four, I think, in the last two sets, or three and four, something like that. Novak, yeah, is on pace to do good things and is reliable and bankable. And his endurance in keeping this up, having played the six matches at ATP Cup, I, one thing I was wondering as this match got away from him a little bit is, like, is all this emotional tennis of a slam finally catching up to him? But he also had the advantages of having his semifinal a day earlier, which is always a thing that I don't like at this tournament. So I think it really does have a meaningful impact on the final often. And then getting a pretty easy semifinal at that against Roger Federer, who was in not great shape to play that match after putting a lot of miles on himself in long matches against John Millman and Tennis Sangren. So yeah, so Novak was in was in pretty good position just with how the tournament worked out that way, um, which I feel like is the opposite of what his fans always think happens to him. But this time, like all the chips and all the organizational chips really fell Novak's way in positive ways for him. He got to play Ronich at night, which helped. All sorts of good things went his. Novak wins. Yeah, that's good. Team, let's get to team already. And then team, I mentioned team in the Kennan part we did in the episode we just recorded on the women. Because team is somebody who I think really has like built this like incredibly strong application for like, I'm applying for the job of Grand Slam champion. Look at all of my qualifications. I've made three finals now. I've won Indian Wells, which is the fifth slam. I made a World Tour Finals final. I'm B. I'm like a great hard worker. I'm already 26. You know, I can play on hard courts now very well. I, I own you know, a penguin. He owns a... He protects and guards a penguin. Oh, so he's the Knights of the Templar Guardian of penguin? and protector of the penguin. Exactly. Exactly right. <laughs> I was really hoping that Bamos the penguin, who I was... It was interesting the way it was phrased initially. Explain I did, it first I, I, Well, because Dominic who Team... Who is Bamos? Dominic Team during the Brisbane. ATP Cup. Oh, ATP Cup. Okay, he was well. in Sydney. As someone apparently... I didn't... At first, I thought it was his own initiative. And I think people probably did too. But someone at the tournament gifted him essentially this like, you know, you're a protector of a penguin, like you donation to a, some sort sure. of yeah. nature group, reserve or conservatory, whatever you want to call it for penguins, uh, a little iceberg for penguins saying, hey, you, you know, are looking after this penguin. You sort of pledged to support this penguin in your honor, named it Bamos, which is very cute. That's like the Dominic team catchphrase. Remember early Dominic team oh when God. he had his, his Facebook posts? Those were wonderful. Tremendous. That was like the first Dominic team story I ever wrote was about those Facebook posts. Anyway, his, Bamos was his catchphrase. It's Bamos the penguin, uh, who he's not met. I'm not sure. He, I think maybe he got a photo of Bamos with this package. Anyway, Bamos the penguin, I was really hoping would present the trophy tonight. <laughs> a little corny swing of penguin walk, which is great. Yeah, Bamos the penguin. And yeah, but Dominic team comes up short. I think though the thing with Dominic team is he'll keep getting there. He's kind of in a in a less dramatic way, becoming sort of the Andy Murray, yeah, the second Andy closer. Murray, where he's running up against the best guys on their best places and and falling short so far. But if you keep putting yourself there, you're going to break through eventually. That's just how it works in tennis. You keep giving yourself chances, and he's a real shot of winning the French Open. I I'm much more excited for the French Open after this tournament than I was before. Because I think both Djokovic and team have viable chances at the French Open, even with it being Nadal's playground where he's going for number 13. I think each of them has reasons for belief. And this is five months out, so things can change. Rafa can win all the Masters and Barcelona again and romp. But at least right now, from that long-term distance, I think there is interest in this. When Djokovic has been at his peak, it's when 
the French Open gets interesting, and he it seems to be that. True. Yeah, yeah. And now team has been in the final two years in a row and beaten it all several times on clay at other events. Yeah, I, I'm excited for the French Open now. That's my main takeaway from team. And you know, he can do well at Indian Wells, Miami, and the Masters is before that too. I think what I learned from like Dominic Team's run to the final, which again ATP outsider, yeah, it dawned on me how much people wanted him to be that next guy. Yeah. As much as like there's Verev and Kyrgios and Tsitsipas and Deminer and Medvedev. Medvedev and Rublev and whatever, like there was like watching him play against Novak and get that lead against Novak in the final, I was like, you know what, I'd, I'd, I'd really like this for you. Like this would be great. And it felt like that was kind of the general groundswell. Here's a guy who's very, very humble, works very, very hard, has done everything that he's supposed to do, keeps putting himself in these positions. You know, and it's great, and which is which is really lovely, honestly, like to kind of have because I don't know outside of like Andy and like Delpo that that has really existed at, in terms of like this mass coalescing behind a, a non top player. Maybe Stan's got an occasionally. Yeah, but Stan. Yeah, maybe because of the the AO. Yeah, maybe maybe Stan. Oh, but, Stan at the French against Novak. I'm but, thinking. But Stan sent like felt like a sentimental favorite. Like, Dominic's not, a, to me, a sentimental favorite. Not like, yet. you know, like, oh, good for you. It's like, no, we've, I feel like we just think you've the earned tennis this. community is kind of like anointed him as the next. Like, you're, if a young one or a younger one, I mean, obviously he's younger or he's older than the others, but like, if that, that lowercase next gen yeah. is, is going to win, that, that I think in a lot of ways that people want it to be him and, which is great. Um, he's done it really, you can't besmirch anything about Dominic Team's career, to be quite honest. Like, and it reminds me of like Andy Murray's um, documentary on Amazon Prime, where he like talks about how his career's done and kind of like it's so unfair. Like, I don't feel like I deserve this. Like, you know, I've done everything that was right. <laughs> oh. um, but I feel like with Dominic, it's kind of the same thing. Like, he's done. He would have the right to say that. Like at this point, it's like I've done everything right yeah. to be that guy, and yet here I am. You know, at what twenty six. Yep, 26. 26. Not young by tennis standards right. historically. Yeah, so with without a major. But, you know, it amazing tournament from him. I, I really, really wanted to see him do it just because to get new blood into the mix. But Novak Djokovic, like, I'm not, like I said, dude's going to finish being the greatest of all time. And either people can fight it and, and try to discount it, or you can sit and just revel in just how good this dude is because... Against a very good Dominic team, he played his B minus game and won a major. There you go. Yeah, Dominic team also twenty six is older than Andy Murray was when he won his first major, who was twenty five. And granted, Murray was a more high profile teen in the sport and broke out much younger with some big results since it was on the radar longer and went four years between his first final and his title, the U.S. Open oh eight to twenty twelve. But yeah, Dominic team is kind of getting into that territory of like you're doing everything we're. Everyone's sort of pulling for you. Doesn't have the sort of romance of breaking a British drought going for him that that was such a part of Murray's narrative and part of his burden. But uh, yeah, it, it, he's done a lot of good things. So everyone's happy with everything he's done there, except for maybe the hair choice at this tournament, which was divisive. And I say divisive, but I don't think anybody liked it. But here's the thing. like, So when Dominic Team went two sets to one up, and I was like, oh my God, like Team could actually win this. Yeah. I was watching on TV. And I was just like, in my head, even though there's a there's a part of me that thought that he might pull it off, I was like, that kit is not trophy hoisting. No. Nope. And there's just no way that the first Grand Slam champion of the 2020s 
has frosted tips. I thought the same thing about. There's no way. Remember Blonde Wanska at Wimbledon? Yes. I felt no, the same way about Blonde Wanska. Where like Agar yeah. Radvanska comes as a bleach blonde Wimbledon one year. It's like, okay, you're not winning like that. No. No, no. you can't do that. No. Who did that? You know who had frosted tips at one point in their life? Federer. You know who got rid of his frosted tips and started winning things? Federer. Science. I mean, I love that Nick Carter is still an icon in Austria, apparently, but it's just, it's a lot. No. It's no, a lot. You can't you can't frost them tips. Get get that back to natural and go win a bunch of things. It actually made it confusing uh, when he was playing Zvera because they were wearing similar outfits and they had like similar, from a distance, like tone hair. I had a hard time okay. at times casually watching that match like figuring out who was who hold the fuck on i'm sorry no (laughs) there is i've seen this on the twitter oh people they wear the same oh it's the scourge of tennis that like players wear the same kit and they can't tell fucking bullshit sorry no like there's absolutely no way that when you are watching that match you do not tell the difference between Sasha Zverev and Dominic Thiem. I'm not saying There's that I couldn't figure no it out, way. but when I was like, when I was first like looking down at my computer and looking back up, it would take me a second to get orientated. Is all I'm saying. I tell you, okay. people are so lazy. I am lazy in my eyes, I guess sometimes. Anyhow, There's Sasha. There's no way. <laughs> None. Sasha Zverev in his first Slam final, semifinal here, uh, in a sort of. The draw worked out for him a bit. He got to play Stan in the quarters, who he's 2-0 against previously, and won that one. And Stan was, I think, probably tired after going 5 with Medvedev in the round before. Um, but before that, Zverev had done well. I'm trying to remember who else Zverev played here. Uh, Zverev got an easy draw at the beginning. Oh, here's what it was. Zverev got a very easy draw at the first two rounds. He was awful his first two rounds. He played against Marco Cecchinato, who's only won matches at a Grand Slam one time. It was one time in the semifinals of the French Open. Every other time he's lost first round at slams. Zverev would have lost to a lot of different people that day, but he didn't lose to, to Chekinato. Then he got to play Igor Gerasimov in the second round. And then he, but then he got tougher and he beat Verdasco and then he beat Rublev, who was on a long winning streak. Uh, all in straights, I think. So he made it to the quarters without dropping a set. Very unzverev like. Um, and then he loses to, and then he beats Stan in four, and Stan really just faded at the end of that match, and then he makes it to first semi, which meant a lot to him, and, you know, good for, it's overdue for Zverev to make a semifinal at a Grand Slam, having done everything he's done in the sport, make, winning three Masters, winning a World Tour Finals, still only being 22 years old, which is, I was, when I saw that again, I was like, wow, I was surprised to remember how big an age difference there is between team and Zverev, who I think of as, you know, being buddies and being closer, but four years apart, it's meaningful. Those are different generations for sure. Senior in the t- in versus this. freshman. Exactly. Or senior versus eighth grader, depending on when their birthdays are. True. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, good run for Zverev here. Yeah, good on him. He got, yeah, I don't know what to say about Zverev. Good. Prize money? Oh, the charity stuff? I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, Zverev got, a, well, Zverev got a lot of attention at this tournament um, after beating Chekinato for saying he would give $10,000 per win uh, after, for every match and then give all of his prize money if he won the tournament, which got a lot of attention immediately. It was a big sort of news story, a big conversation point, the Zverev giving all his prize money thing. I got to say, I thought it was like a little bit strange how much outsized attention that got. I thought when I thought it was such a remote chance that, that he would win the tournament, and he actually came much closer than I ever thought he would, especially after that checking out a match, which was not inspiring, and after ATP Cup where he was so bad. You know, and I'm not going to knock him for giving $50,000 to charity, but it seemed like it got a little bit of outsized attention for the sort of long shot thing. Outsized and also, to what? Out, well, outsized to Isner, I guess, is the main one I would say. 
uh, and other players too who gave other donations also, which wound up being larger but less um, flashy or less. I don't know. They just kind of did it. Didn't have the same like sizzle. Didn't have the same hook to them. Like Isner, <laughs> Isner's donation was hundred dollars per ace plus. And this is the big plus. Twenty five percent of total prize money, which got him over. I think it's like around fifty three thousand in the end. Uh, losing third round of and that's losing third round. So already 25% of third round prize money, and he got hurt against Stan Wawrinka in that third round match. That's already a big amount. And so I thought that was cool. And I'll, just, yeah, the way that this Zverev one like, went from being like, if he lost, I was honestly a little bit relieved that Zverev didn't make the final because the narrative about his money in the final, I thought it would have been really strange and uncomfortable for the crowd and the commentators and the opponent. If you're like, oh, you beat Zverev and now you cost the Bushfires $4 million. Because if Zverev lost the final, he would have only given about 3% of his money. Whereas if he wins, he gets 100 And All I have to say, there are a lot of different ways. And everyone who gave money to charity, including you, Courtney, by the way, your donations, and you're doing it through coffee cups, cups <laughs> of coffee, rather. Everyone had their own methods, which I thought were great. And followed everybody who donated and can keep donating. And donate to whatever causes you want anywhere, honestly. All charities. Great and valued That's a thing. and meaningful. It, it, yeah. It, it's, yeah, not just about the fires, but no, there's lots of great causes around the world. Yeah, all this to say, thank you to every player who donated to it's anything. Massive, what, six million? Yeah, six raised? million. And, and tennis amazing. Australia doing the, the aces. That ace sort of graphic with a flat. Mm-hmm. You sort of start noticing, wow, this this adds up. Even in Brisbane and ATP Cup and such, uh, it adds up. So. Let's see people come together. Can for I ask it. like a totally different question that's unrelated to the charity? Obviously, the charity is amazing and et cetera, et cetera. Okay. But why do we focus on like aces? I think they're just like a like. Why can't it just be winners? Mm. Or like, I think aces was a lower number. Well, then that sounds kind of weird. Yeah, I think it is. Kind of, I mean, for certain. I mean, like, and also like Isner, for example, to use him again, like only quote unquote gave a hundred dollars praise, whereas mm-hmm. some players were give, like Nick was giving two fifty, yeah, I think, yeah. or Demon was certainly giving two fifty. But, like, Aces was going to hit a lot of Aces. He hit, like, 45 in his first match. For sure. So people are just kind of adjusting and guessing and doing whatever. I don't know. Anyway. I liked the creative, like, whether it's Varev or whether it's Simona or whether it's Belinda. Like, I liked, like, kind of the creative, like, let's think outside of the box as to, like, to make it fun. Because at the end of the day, honestly, like, you could just be like, yo, just give. Just pick a number. Yeah. But obviously to kind of make it fun and kind of like build interest and attention to the bushfire relief And that cause. was a big part of the role of high profile people giving money 100%. too. It's, it's to raise awareness. It's to raise yeah. awareness and all that sort of stuff, which is great. But yeah, it just like there came a point where I was like, why are we focused on aces? And maybe that's because I'm a WTA writer. Like why are we focused <laughs> on you were aces on your tour. Yeah. True. Like, you yeah. know, like that's just going to be how it is. And it was like. Like, I remember when Brisbane and ATP Cup were going at the same time. It was like, the men are donating this, and the ladies are donating this. And it's like, yo, come on, man. Like, this, come on. (laughs) Um, The other semifinalist was Roger Federer. Roger Federer had a very exhausting couple matches in this tournament. He, third round, was down 8-4 in a fifth set, a very physical match against John Millman. Down 8-4 in the match tiebreak at the end of the fifth set. Or a 10-point tiebreak end of the fifth set, because there was a full fifth set before it. And reels off six straight points to escape and win that match. Then loses the first set to Martin Fucevic in the next mat round. And then goes down to Tennis Sangren by a set. And he was down a 3-0 in the third and took a medical timeout. Double break, I think, 3-0. Maybe double break, maybe not. 
Anyway, in the fourth set, saved seven match points. Sangren had seven match points. Got to fit. One of them was on his serve. Four of them, he was returning Roger Federer's second serves, mm. and couldn't convert any of them. Federer wins to the delight of the crowd and tennis Twitter, and and then is clearly not in great shape, but plays on in that tournament and takes the court for the match against Novak Djokovic, which I know Courtney, you you were very laudatory of, and you can I just was. talk through why why that was why that stood out to you so much what Federer did by taking the court against Djokovic a match which he said he estimated he had maybe a at best three percent chance of winning look man I'm like a really narcissistic person it's very difficult for me to put myself in somebody else's shoes and like understand what they do Uh, I'm very empathetic but like just that but like specifically to the Roger thing like if I was playing a grand slam semifinal against my most bitter rival yeah who is chasing me, who everybody kind of thinks, by everybody I mean Courtney, thinks <laughs> is going to overtake me in the slam the slam title count. And I'm injured. So I know when I take the court, it ain't happening. Because I can't move the way that I want to move. And and especially the way Novak had come through. He looked like he was just absolute gangbuster, gangbusters. Yeah. There was no... You know, real sign that Novak would, you know, was playing tight or anything or was injured. And look, man, I would have just been like, nah, no, thank you. Like, sorry, crowd, but I'm not going to go out there and be humiliated um, when I know that I cannot do more than what I'm going to be able to do. Like, you know, like. That's pretty rough. So I, I I give a lot of credit to Roger for taking that court. Like, that's way more than I think a lot of players would do. And it's doing such a solid to the tournament. To the tournament. To the game, to, to the TV. Fans, to TV broadcast. Everybody to keep that match going. And it's, that's... In a, single, in a single match session, essentially, that mat, that yeah. session. Yeah. Yeah. So th- that was pretty significant. So I tip my cap to, to Raj massively for doing that. Because, like, just from a business perspective, he saved a lot of butts by... by putting his butt on the line that night so which was great um but yeah i mean like it was funny because um when i was watching the final the the djokovic team final jim courier was on um commentary on channel nine and he was like oh um you know this match which i think was a terrible match (laughs) um you know puts a perfect cap on what has been a dramatic you know uh tournament at the australian open and like it wasn't that i inherently disagreed i mean i did but like what was egregious in that statement to me was like, was just that it was implying that this match was good, which it wasn't. But then I was going back and forth with a few different people like on Twitter and they were like, oh, this was a terrible tournament, blah, blah, I was like, I don't think it was a terrible tournament. Like, and a lot of the drama that did happen came because of Roger. Like that yeah. Millman match was incredibly memorable. I watched that from Garden Square. I was like out there during the 10, the 10 point tie break. And just because I wanted to see how the fans were reacting like an Aussie versus roger they're gonna love both but they were backing millman yeah uh out in in garden square so that was quite fun to watch and then the heartbreak um and then again against sangren like it just seemed like rog wasn't gonna be able to get it done and he does and that was a choke that was a choke from sangren he didn't take his shots like he didn't go for it he thought that maybe roger might relent and i think honestly of all the points the seven match points that sangren had 
maybe three of them were like really good Roger Federer points. If that. I mean, if Roger that. only hit one winner on those points. Oh, okay. And the other ones were, and it was interesting because Sangren, and I was going to ask about this kind of, we've had this debate before years ago on the show, I remember, okay. about if it's automatically a choke if you do something like lose seven match points. No. If at some point, right, and you, I know you say no. Yeah. I sometimes think at a certain number, it becomes one, but we can, we've can we debated that before. It's a sort of Like, did Garbina choke those five points against Sonia at 2-2 love 40? I don't know. Rewatch it. She didn't choke. I, I, don't think, I don't think so. No. But that's different than that. It's a little different than match points. But anyway, Sangren went kind of, on the first one, or the first of seven, he was actually pretty aggressive. He and tried. Like, he pulled the trigger yeah. on the first one and On the missed. backhand, right? Uh, I think it was like an inside-in forehand or something yeah. like that. Anyway, but he like missed. He went for it or tried to pull the trigger early and missed. And from that point on, he was much more cautious. And that that one moment of cautiousness. Because he was also, I'm sure, like, Tennis Sangren ranked 100th in this tournament. Having Roger Federer like on the ropes has to be like, what is happening here? Even if he was playing really well in this tournament. Sure, yeah. And I was saying before the match, I thought he would give Federer real problems. You did, I thought you he did was playing. That. I thought he was playing like a better Millman lately. And that was exactly the kind of player who's been giving Roger problems here anyway Sangre did not come through that match i also want less on this match talk about the breakout star of that match who was actually not tennis Sangren, but was mariana veljevic who became who's been on tour for a while and i'm not entirely sure why suddenly this match conspired to make her fame but first of all great officiating and her and also orally tort in the nadal match the next night uh, nadal team both of them did not do what I so often see male umpires doing with big men's tennis players and trying to be buddy-buddy with them or trying to manage them or keep them happy or keep them in a good mood. Damien Dumasois did not do that against with Novak no, tonight. he did not. Although I think he could have given him a, a, another code for the, the shoe padding. I did not like that at all from Novak tonight. I thought that I didn't have a problem with the shoe padding. I don't like touching a fish. Don't touch No, I, I don't generally, but that was like, I don't know. That I didn't have a problem with it for whatever reason. Okay. But I get it. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, Valjevic gives Federer an audible obscenity warning after a line film and narcs on him, um, Snitch! which he was he was very bothered by. Just, it was amusingly, he was just like he was huffy about it. It was it was kind of adorable. And then uh, Federer, then Nadal also got time violations. I think it was from Federer. From no Nadal. Oh, Nadal. Nadal got here. got time violations from Orly Tort, and then got upset and. Complained that she must not like the good tennis if she if if he's giving if she's giving him time violations, which also Nadal got sorry also Djokovic got tonight in the men's final. When the clock hit zero, you gotta call it. You can't not call when the clock hit zero. And it's also embarrassing if it, if you. Don't I call saw it. some dodgy stuff at ATP Cup. I was paying attention. Some of the clock starts were absurdly late. Late, yeah. Absurdly late. You can't. You shouldn't do that either. You should make it like if the clock's gonna be there, it should mean something. And for players and for umpires to respect the clock. I really appreciated it. I thought I agree with all those calls. It's the thing, and of, and yeah, and, and Veljevic being rec- and anyway, you start answer that, and then I'll. Well, no, I, I just I just think that like when you talk about uh, Dumasois, when you talk about you know Tort or uh, Veljevic a little bit less so because it wasn't time violation related, but people then direct their ire at Orly or they direct their ire at um, at uh, Damien Damien uh, or who was yeah, and it's like. Okay, but actually the ire should be directed at the umpires that don't call it. Yeah, exactly. Because they are the ones that put these umpires who are applying the rules in this position where they're the ones that now look like they're being strict. Yeah. They're not being strict. 
you know, if if Muhammad Leoni's not going to call it, if if you know Fergus Murphy's not going to call it, if you have all these umpires, if Kader Nooney is not going to call it, if you have these umpires who are a little bit more the type of umpire that it seems like play, ex players talk about all the time, I have to say this as well. I'm a little bit tired of like former players dominating commentary because they come at it from a former player position mm. as opposed to from an objective one. So I've noticed it a lot. I've always noticed it in particular in Australia with some of the guys where it's just always siding with the players as opposed to stepping back and being like, well, there's an objective reason why X, Y, or Z has happened from an umpire perspective or like things like that. And it's always like, oh, that's a bad call. Oh, that's a bad call. It's like, I mean. You know, you know who's notably great at this? It's Carrillo. Yes. Mary Carrillo is so great at stepping back and being, and she was also a former player. Yes. Let's be clear. But she is someone who stands out to me when you're saying this, having this conversation about being like, and Tracy Austin, I think, too, actually. I think Lindsay's pretty good about it yeah. as well. Tennis Channel crew, just very solid. The Tennis Channel I, women. Honestly, yeah. if, I, if I want to say it very explicitly, I think the ladies are really good at this. Yeah. I think the women commentators are very good about looking at something very objectively, which is why also sometimes they get very frustrated with the female commentators because when they commentate, especially women's tennis, they're very down on it because, not because I think they're down on it, but because I think they're actually trying so hard to commentate on it objectively. So if a match is shitty, a match is shitty. And like, they kind of let you know that. And if a player's choking, a player's choking and they kind of let you know that. But what I've noticed with the male commentators is no matter what it is that's happening in front of them, it's a freaking triumph. Every single, every single time. Especially, I feel like especially the Channel 9 stuff, which is very much Yeah, which is what I, we TV were subjected here. to. Yeah, and obviously they're broadcasters and they're the host broadcasters of the Australian Open, which means that they're It was the same thing during ATP Cup. Part and, yeah, which yeah. means they're part and parcel yeah. with TA and TA is going to be mad at you if you talk crap about it. And this isn't just with Channel 9. This is FFT with, um, with the, not Canal, what's the channel they use? Anyways, uh... Yeah, like the the slams and the tournaments are gonna try and have a say and control, you know what? ESPN gets this too, yeah. At the US yeah, for sure. for sure. So yeah, and outside of that, ESPN gets it everywhere because yeah. they are one of the biggest broadcasters. Even if they're and just rights US holders, rights yeah. holders, they pay a lot of money. But yeah, but I, I noticed that quite a bit. Is that like you know when Sangren was choking, obviously. When this final was crap, obviously. Like I was just like watching. I was like, yeah, no, I've seen women's finals that were not great and the commentary sounded very different mm. than what this sounds like you know and it's like oh well he's trying oh the wind oh this oh it's too good yeah so yeah. it's it's a little bit annoying but so all that is to say going back and circling back to the umpires i said this to you the other night i really think that honestly like in the late stages of these big tournaments they should only have the women umpiring the men because I do think that there is something about that gender dynamic that stopped. I mean, obviously Rafa had a go at, at Orly, but on the whole, stops it at a point. Rafa had one go at Orly, but then complained afterwards to Andres Egli. You, you, oh, means. do you see that? No, oh, oh, so after he did the you don't, you must not like good tennis mm. complaint, he then like went. And did he ask for the manager? He no. He just he saw Egli on the court side and like went to talk to her. Kind of went around Orly. I did not love that. I was to say I brought up Veljevic also because she was a breakout star because people were suddenly like, oh, she pretty. She always Which, been pretty. How do y'all honestly, not know this? Yeah, that's the thing. Is like, how do you not know this? Like, like Mariana's been around, but also she's incredibly good at her job. Yeah. And also, like, look up the clip with her and Diego Schwartzman because it's adorable. <laughs> that is the best. That is also why they should do men's matches. I just think that there's an aggro 
testosterone thing that happens I when agree. it's a male umpire telling a male player that they did something to break the rules. I think the men react a very different way than when it's a woman. And it's the same thing. Like Rod, It's not that Roger wasn't mad. He was mad. And he expressed that to, to Mariana. Mariana sat there, took it. and was like, it is what it is, man. Like, And then Roger moved on-ish. Yeah. And not trying to be buddy-buddy. And that's the other, that's the thing that I think There's is the bigger no... problem in officiating, honestly. It's the buddy-buddiness on all the umpires. I understand this. We talked about this when we did the Serena-Carlos Ramos episode um, after that all went down. But, like, the men talk to umpires in a very different way than women do. They act like they're friends. They act like well, they're the colleagues and buddies. The is very different. So I mean, different. I've, I've seen it at joint events. Yeah. Like, and I, I, you know, obviously know some of the WT umpires only be in passing because we're constantly on flights together or transport or whatever. And one, I almost tweeted it tonight, but like when Novak got pissed at, at, at Damien uh, and was like, oh, congratulations, man. You made your, you want to make yourself famous. Like you're famous. I'm like, if anybody knows anything about these umpires, That's the last thing, 99.9% and we all know who the point, <laughs> 0.01 is, uh-huh. uh, but 99.9% yeah. have zero desire to be famous. So yeah. this, and I think that it actually speaks volumes about the players that accuse I'm not directing this just about Novak. There are many players accuse umpires of this, but I think it speaks volumes about the players who accuse umpires of like just wanting to be famous. It's like, do you think that that's what? Okay, that's weird because they really don't. They just they they have incredible integrity and pride in like what they do, and they just want to go do their jobs well. And I know that with the women, uh, at least the w, not women, but the WT umpires, like they do not talk to players. No. It's fascinating. Like, I stay at player hotels. So like, I go to breakfast and I see, like, you know, kind of how all the different departments kind of... And they just don't. And I know that that is not happening on the other side of the aisle. And I can't... And it's hard for me to imagine that that doesn't have an impact because we're all human. Yep. If somebody's nice to you, you're going to be nice to them. That's just a human thing, you know? As opposed to, like, if somebody's just a like, entity to you, you're going to apply the rule. Yeah. Because you don't owe them anything. Exactly. You don't feel like they owe, you owe them anything, you know? Uh, in terms of other things that happen at this lunch, any other men's topics you want to mention before we move on to general tournament talk? I'm trying to think who else made like... Oh, Nick Kyrgios had himself a great tournament. Fantastic. I think kind of like a dream tournament for Nick, making fourth round... Well, not dream, because he would love to beat Rafa. But getting to that match was great. And it was really nice seeing... Pachanov match Nick, was good. Exactly. Yeah. Seeing Nick appreciated by the crowd and by yeah. the media here more... For not honestly being that different than in the past, but he was yeah. on great behavior here on the probation. Didn't hurt uh, his his uh, his behavior and the Hachinov match, uh, another match tiebreak match, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, coming back from down a break, I think eight six or eight seven in that in that ten point tiebreak to win that one um, was was great for Nick. And then the Nadal match was actually I was really impressed by how Nick made it competitive because those conditions were not for him at all. Yeah. It was very slow. Very windy, very cold. And the day that Kobe passed. Yes, right. And so, but Nick like junk balled his way to like tie breaks in the third and fourth sets. Like he did not was not swinging out, not playing the kind of tennis. He could that, not hit through Rafa no, in those conditions. Not it was at so all. cold. And so that Nick made it competitive. I thought was really great. I think had it been warmer, it would have actually could have easily been a a Nick win over yeah, yeah, over yeah, Rafa. And it was yeah. frustrating to me that that match was kind of. The conditions were the dominant story in that match, which you don't want to see. Um, yeah, but I thought Nick, I hope, hopefully that goodwill for Nick lasts. And you never know. I mean, Nick, obviously, is almost always on his best behavior in Australia. And so we'll see when he gets back on tour and by, traveling by himself more, traveling you know away from a team environment, away from home. 
uh, things can get tough again for him. But hopefully the sort of lessons and goodwill he had and his sort of maturity and composure and everything he had, uh, hopefully that carry through. Yeah, He had a great summer. Yeah. He had a great Australian summer. And, you know, there was a lot to be, if you're Australian, there was a lot to be proud about how Nick did y'all right, how Ash did y'all right. Like, yeah, it was, yeah. it was good. And I Melman. was, it, I was, yeah, Millman. Yeah. Even Deminer during ATP cup. Like, it, yeah, there was a lot to like about all of it. And, um, how great is the Nick and Demon? Uber you Eats finally commercial. saw it, right? I finally I've, saw it. I, I was, I've been talking it up for a while, and then finally Uber Eats posted it today. Um, but it's, it's my favorite Uber Eats commercial of, of, of the whole, uh, of the whole campaign. But yeah, it was, it was great from Nick, and I was so worried about him, like when he took the court, you know, against Rafa, and he was incredibly emotional. His Kobe jersey. He's in his Kobe jersey. He cried, you know, kind of like getting ready for the match and whatever. Played, you know, but slowly got himself into it and really had that match kind of on his terms and just didn't ex- execute. Like, you know, like he had those opportunities in the tie break. He had those opportunities to break. And, you know, there was, that, I think, one short forehand that he kind of missed that would have given him some a mini break and a tie break or something like that. But, yeah, no, uh, we got nothing but love for Nick in, in this house despite his his uh, his antics at times. But, uh, yeah, it was it was a very good summer for him. One of the more interesting stories, which I think happened at the same time as some big match. I think it happened at the same time. What match did it happen at the same time during? During Ash and Kennan, maybe? When did the John and Martina thing happen? During Ash and Kennan, I think. Yeah? Yes? I think so. Yeah. yeah. That day, at least. Yeah, that day. So it was like, not when people were paying attention, not they ever pay attention to Legends, but John and Martina, John, Martina Navratilova uh, and John McEnroe, uh, had a banner they held up saying Ivan Gulagong Arena during their match on 1573 Arena. Uh, and then Martina climbed into the umpire's chair to start making a speech using the umpire's microphone, and the transmission was cut from the from the World Cup broadcast. That's never seen anything like that happen before. I'm not entirely sure what to make of this incident, except for that thing that it's wild to me that the leaders and the most vocal protesters, especially on an LGBT issue, which is generally considered like a very young generational kind of transition thing, are two people in their 60s. That's my main take. I applaud John especially for getting involved and really... Yeah, he's excoriating. He, right, his, his really right. pretty excoriating, very, very, very harsh take on market court he did for Eurosport. His second one, he sounded like that. This one was much harsher. That John sort of used his platform to do that. Martina obviously has been an advocate for LGBT stuff for a long time, uh, and it's a lesbian herself, and so this is very personal to her. John was being more of an ally. This is more optional to him, and being, you know, not someone who we think of as being necessarily friends with Martina or close friends, but sticking up for her, I I really applaud, and I've obviously, people know this show, I'm often not particularly charitable to John McEnroe and his TV work, but that I was sort of impressed by. And yeah, and I just think it also reflects on the younger players that the people leading the way on this are the older people. That's kind of my take on that. Uh, yeah. And and then and then Tennis Australia got very upset about this and basically, you know, essentially seemed to threaten to revoke their credentials, which would have been wild if they revoked the credentials of John Macron, who was an encore interviewer at this tournament. That would have been nuts. Also, not a very good encore interviewer, we'll add. Also, to stop the McEnroe love train, just stop. Like, honestly, it's so bad. Like, the, the team won. I, I actually didn't see it, but I heard from so many people the team interview was unbearably terrible after he beats Verb in that semifinal. And McEnroe's not a natural interviewer, so that's not his skill set. Don't make him do it. Anyway, 
Margaret Court, I was at the ceremony that Margaret Court they had when they brought her out on court. They tried to thread this whole needle of recognizing her, but not celebrating her and for her achievement, but not for her as a person. It was a weird ceremony because it was a video play. There was kind of like, for, well, before the video even played, someone in a Harry Potter costume ran around on a broom and like pointed to a family who won a contest or something. And then Margaret Court comes out. So I, first of all, love, because I'm sure her religion does not appreciate any of the uh, pagan elements of Harry Potter. So that was a weird intro right off the bat. And then, and then they bring her out and she like sort of waves and holds up, but they give her a replica Daphne Ackerhurst trophy. She holds it up. There's, when she walks out, there's definite audible boos. And Courtney, you, I don't know what you heard on the on the TV feed. What did you select, hear? I heard select, like, yeah, small pockets of boos, but otherwise, you know, polite applause. Polite applause, right? Not a standing ovation. People were staying seated. Rod Laver was there to give her this trophy and so a little more clapping for him. There, I've counted like three or four rainbow flags in the arena. People came prepared with those. Um yeah, so it was, it was a weird scene, just considering what it is. Like, Champion gets 50th anniversary thing, and, like, it's great. And from here, it was incredibly muted and just a strange, like, kind of teeth-pulling moment that Tennis Australia just wanted to get through. Didn't have, didn't let her have a microphone, didn't let her speak. She didn't do a press conference, which normally would be kind of the thing a person would do on, a, on an occasion. Sort of The montage they played in the arena, they did show that at some point on twitter but the rest of it they just didn't acknowledge and just wanted to go away and also we'll say tennis australia in their eternal quest to have it both ways on this issue is trying to do a lot to make up for this with their work with the glam slam nick mccarvel hosted another one of his lgb tennis oh wait is that right lgb tennis yes lgb tennis hashtag lgb tennis events um and there was the glam slam event they painted the rainbow they painted the melbourne wording on the back back of the baseline rainbow colors which is kind of cool because it was on show court three just literally in the shadow of margaret court arena so you could see the rainbow and see the margaret court arena sign in the background so it's tennis australia is trying to do things well there nick was telling me there was some like great drag queen skit that opened the proceedings today which involved like them pretending to answer cell phones during matches and like martin solveig's hello played and then there was some other it sounded I'll have Nick do a reenactment at some point, but it sounded really wonderful. And props to him for doing another great event. Any other sort of, um, I don't know if you have any I mean, thoughts on no, that. No, on that, yeah. the, my only thought is this. I should correct that. My only thought that I will express publicly is this <laughs> on this podcast. It boggles my mind that of every, I mean, we're talking tournaments in Australia, in Brisbane, in Sydney, in Melbourne, and in Perth. And in none of those four cities is there a venue that is named after Yvonne Google Goncalli. Yeah. I'm not saying like go like whatever, but I'm just saying that's really weird to me. How does with due respect to Pat this, Rafter has this an man, how does Pat Rafter have an arena and Yvonne doesn't? Well, I mean he's from Queensland, so it's But like so is she, isn't she? Is she is it, is it where Borellin is? We look this up. I think she's from she's always there. Like the trophy's named after her. True. <clears throat> Borellin is her hometown. I'm just not sure where Borellin is. Where's Click on Griffith? Maybe that's her birthplace. That's the place too. New South Wales. But where's if you click on her, she's from this town called Borellin. It's in the NCR vision song about Yvonne. Born and raised in Borellin. It's Yvonne Goulagon. Yvonne Goulagon. Okay. Anyhow. Name I just, something I after just her. I just think that it's it's really messed up. I mean, because we we've been talking a lot in the last like um 
few weeks about, you know, whether or not the young players or whatever know anything about tennis history and know anything about these greats that 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 have paved the way for them. In a lot of ways, like the ten- like uh, my take on it is that younger players know the players who are on TV mm-hmm. as commentators because that's significant to them. Oh, you're on TV, like whatever. So they know them. And maybe if you're lucky, they know you if you have a, 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 a venue named after you, a, a court named after you. But even that's not a guarantee. Like, I'm sure that there are young players where you're like, who's Suzanne Longlong? They're like, oh, that's a court in Paris. Yeah. Like, they don't know who she is, mm-hmm. you know? So it's just like, I mean, like with Yvonne Gulagon Kali, like people know who Margaret Court is. People know who Rod Laver is. People know who Pat Rafter is. But I don't think people really like the younger people know who Yvonne Gulagon Kali is, and they absolutely should because she's a freaking legend. Yeah, and so and, beloved and like, beloved yeah. like nothing, like no one has anything bad to say about her. No. Name something after her, like get like significant. Like it, it's a little bit frustrating in that way. I also do feel like on the John and Martina front that like it's a little awkward that like I don't think Yvonne wants to be part of this protest. No, I don't think she. I does think at all. It's, and them they did not. I do not believe her yeah, they're dragging her into it that she does not need to be part of it. So I think just change the name and then like, yeah, I have different thoughts on how that could happen. Yvonne, I'm sure wants to be excluded from this narrative in a lot of ways. She certainly has not called for this to be renamed after her herself no, or consented or endorsed any of this. So it's it's not, that's clunky, that part of it. Are the other closing Australian Open thoughts on, on anything that, you know, Melbourne... Anything other whimsical I mean, thoughts yeah, here? I mean, going into the tournament, the, one of the biggest, uh, you know, talking points was the con- concern about air quality. Yeah. That ended up not being an issue after qualies, after after that initial day in qualies. It, it was really lovely. It, it, it was unseasonably cool, to be quite honest. And then it obviously ramped up and heated up for about three days towards the end. But, you know, I think that's a lesson to a lot of people. Like, just, I don't know. Like, had the tournament been a week earlier, it would have been a yeah, it big been, deal. It would have been a big deal. Big deal. But, yeah. I, I don't know. I still kind of felt like a lot was, a lot of panic was made of it when we had the forecast and you knew that it was going to like dissipate. All the forecasts were saying it. But it was like, oh, I don't know. There was, a, there was a little bit about it that was like kind of, uh, I don't know, not truthful in my opinion about the reporting about it. Um, so there's that, but otherwise, yeah, no, I mean, first Grand Slam of 2020, the decade. Interesting one. I mean, and it's, and then kind of yeah. in a lot of ways, the tours in their own ways kept up what they do. I mean, yeah. it was a, it was a not woman, a whole lot changed. woman who had some reason to be believed in, but not, was not the favorite, um, coming and rising to the occasion and a dude from the big three adding to his count in a way he's done before. So We'll keep on keeping on. We have a lot of different stuff we recorded actually for NCR during this January month that we'll bring roll out during parts of February. An interview, a couple with a coach, an interview with a player, an interview with a photographer, an interview with a commentator, an interview with a former communications official on the WTA uh, who wrote a book, and she's a lot of fun. She's a hoot when you get to hear her. Yeah, so that will be a whole lot of content, and we'll do more stuff for you normal episodes as well coming through the month of february and until we next see each other courtney probably in march sometime one of the places yeah i guess that's true indian wells yeah if if that if not miami but in the meantime definitely check out our patreon that that ben set up during the uh australian open and no obligation we'll still be podcasting we'll still be doing what we do and um and stuff like that but it never hurts to have a little bit of incentive during those those crunch times where i'm tired 
and uh, but I know that, that the people <laughs> the people want to hear hear what what's up. So they want to hear you. No, they want to hear you. Oh, they definitely want to no, hear you. you, you hotter, are no, you have the hotter takes. I guess I do. You do Patreon. But you have the better voice. I know your voice is so great. It's great. It's great. It's really good for radio. It's really good. I know that. And we know you know that. Yeah. There we go. And with that, thanks for following along with our voices when we're not listening, when you're not listening to the show on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. You can refollow Courtney on Twitter for the time being, although I really think that she should relock it because you were just happy and it was so gleeful. Lovely. Her account is for you to twits. Follow it now while you can because I will continue to encourage her to relock this account because it just makes her life happier, I think. I'm, I'm at Ben Rothenberg on Twitter. Reem Abuleil, who is our studio audience still for this show. At Reem Abuleil <laughs> there. And yeah, follow our Patreon is patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. Our email is no challenges remaining at gmail.com. Leave us reviews wherever you can, whatever podcast network and stuff you use. And we are out of here. We will see you guys soon. Goodbye from Australia. Uh, hanging there, mates. And uh, we'll catch you on the, on the flip. All right. Kangaroo, I guess. <laughs>